back world to the verbal intercourse podcast got your host nick walker back in the building with you today shout out to all the supporters the listeners everybody that's been purchasing merch we are really appreciative follow verbal intercourse jackson on instagram and subscribe to verbal intercourse podcast you can search it by saying nick walker's verbal intercourse podcast on apple Podcasts, spotify and soundcloud Today, we got some very special black women in the building, and we got a, a special topic. Shout out to all the nurses all over the world currently that's been dealing with the COVID pandemic, as well as the emotional and physical stress that they have to deal with on a daily basis. So um, happy Nurses Week to all of these women, and happy Teachers Week as well. Shout out to the educators. So today, you know, we got uh, some special women, like I stated, and I'm going to introduce all of them. Shout out to Ashley Williams. Shout out to Monique Smith. Shout out to Tundria Chambers. That's, that's weird for me saying it, Tundria Chambers. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to all these women, HBCU grads. Ashley graduated from Tougaloo. Monique from JSU, the I love, and Tundria from Alcorn or sometimes Slawcorn. So, shout out to all these women. Um, tonight, I invited them on the podcast because I wanted to have a podcast to kind of commemorate all of the beautiful Black women that are in nursing, and I wanted to provide a safe space for them to kind of talk about their profession, talk about what they had to go through in this past year, as well as how to get where they are currently. And so I thought it was a good topic to start off with. So so um, I'm going to basically start off with Ashley. I, I want you to kind of tell me a little bit about the setting that you work in and what you do. Okay, so um, I work in Washington, D.C., um, the setting is a diverse um, population, diverse group. We're in the urban area in DC, um, DC metro area. So we have patients that do or do not have insurance, different walks of life, very, very diverse in ethnicities and backgrounds. Um, my current setting on my department is a stroke medicine, neuroscience, neurosurgery unit. Uh, we have a couple of behavioral health issue patients as well as patients that do or don't again have insurance. So. It's a, a challenging environment. I've been there for nine years and the acuity cont has continuously skyrocketed and gotten um, more and more acute in the setting that I work. Um, so that's about it. Nick, you're on mute. <laughs> so by title, you're an RN, right? Yes, I'm a registered nurse, um, but my position that I currently hold is an interim nursing director. So I'm like head nurse on my department. Okay. Okay. Great. Great. Thank you for thank you for your service. Okay. Absolutely. And so we're gonna move on to Tundra. Oh, uh, so hi everybody. Um, 
I currently work as a nurse practitioner on um, the neurocritical care team at a comprehensive stroke center. Um, so we work with a very diverse population, also all races, all um, people of socioeconomic backgrounds, um, uh, an array of illnesses, I should say. People think uh, neurocritical care and just automatically think strokes, but of course there's, you know, epileptics, uh, myasthenics, Parkinsonian uh, patients, all sorts of things, in addition to traumatic and non-traumatic brain hemorrhages, um, so all sorts of things. And we also work with the neurosurgery team to uh, provide care for their post-op patients. So. Dope, dope. And, and you're out of New Orleans? Yes, I am in New Orleans. Dope, dope. Appreciate your service. Appreciate your service. I appreciate you. <laughs> so, so next up, we're going to go to Monique. I recently just transitioned out of the hospital, out of patient, direct patient care, um, but was there for seven years until the pandemic hit. And um, unexpectedly, I got a new job. So the pandemic came and I had already applied for this job before COVID hit. And right now I work as an immunology nurse ambassador, um, a nurse educator for immunology patients uh, for a pharmaceutical company. So much different from typical bedside nursing or um, hands-on clinical nursing. But again, I was there for seven years, almost eight years before the past year. So that's where I am currently. So, oh yeah, my fault. I was muted. Immunology, that's, that's dope. But shout out, shout out to all these nurses that's on the panel tonight. So, we're going to get right into some of these questions because I've always worked really close, closely with nurses, being a physical therapist myself. So, you know, I'm I'm used to seeing y'all um, go on y'all daily routine. You know, I'm used to seeing some of the struggles that y'all have to kind of deal with, especially as a black woman nurse. So so I'm going to get into some stats because I like to bring out a few stats when I talk about um, minorities in healthcare professions. So statistically, 9.9% of RNs are African-American in the U.S. And 5.2% of African-American women are nurse practitioners in the U.S. So I'm going to let all of y'all speak about how difficult it was to get into the nursing field as a Black woman, and as well as how difficult it has been to be a Black nurse during the COVID pandemic. So I'm gonna start off with Tundria. Um, well, I mean, just being real about it, like everything is more difficult when you're black, right? I mean, driving, shopping, laughing, playing, just being is more difficult when you're black. But I found that um, specifically in the black community, because of some of those statistics that you just read, um, it's more difficult to get in because you just you're you're unaware of the pathways to navigate to get in. Um, there's not always a lot of representation um, within our community, and so there there's a barrier for sure. And then on top of that, um, I know for me, the program that I was in, um, I did a career alternative program, and so it required that I stop working and focus solely on school, like throughout business hours, Monday through Friday, eight to five. 
And so um, a lot of people, I was very, very blessed at the time by my family and the support of my, my now husband or whatever, but a lot of people don't have the resources to sustain an education program that requires you not to work. And, you know, with poverty rates being what they are in the black community, that that's always a barrier for us. That's that's real, because you uh, and I definitely agree with the part when you said that the the access to the pathways on how to get to different healthcare professions, because we kind of talked about it a little bit, you know, prior to us getting on this call. But I feel like, you know, even some of us as black people, when we get to these levels of healthcare professions, we don't tell the people below us how to get there. And it's kind of, to me, it's kind of like a crab in the bucket type of mentality. Cause you know, anytime somebody come up to me, try, uh, that's, that that's interested in physical therapy. I'll be like, Hey, you know, this is how you get here. Now you can tell now it don't matter to me if you serious or not. Cause half of the time people be BSing, but uh, the other 50%, you know, they be dead serious and they just, sometimes you just need a helping hand. It could come from conversation. It could come from recommendation letter whatever you know so so yeah that's that's definitely important to provide access well what you what you think about it ashley um so specifically for me um it really wasn't that hard for me um as far as support is concerned getting into nursing school i did a bridge program um and i graduated from tougaloo and because of my degree i was able to get into another program um and that program it was very few African-Americans in general, but African-American women, it was like maybe four of us in, t in the whole program. But this was also in Alabama, too. So I kind of like, you know, just look at the demographics and was wondering, you know, if that had anything to do with it. But then, of course, moving to the DMV area, getting a job, um, it was difficult getting a job. I don't know if it was, you know, it was because of my ethnicity. But then when I finally did get a job where I am now, and I see the population and see the, the associates that work there, it is very diverse. So I think it really just depends. I think I was just kind of fortunate and blessed to be able to have that navigation just kind of work out for me, me going into nursing school and then me ending up at an organization where it is completely diverse. It's not, you know, compared to another organization down the street that is completely white, majorly white with few blacks. Mine is the most diverse um, entity in the system, so. Wow, that's dope. Cause you know, cause cause it's not diversity out there. It's like like the the places where I've worked at. I think I've worked in one nursing home where I was like, okay, it's cool to be here because it's diverse, and I actually have coworkers that we have something in common and stuff like that. But I've been even when I was in school doing clinical rotations, I've been in situations where I was eating lunch by myself every day with with the people with uh, without people just being completely lonely because I had nothing in common, wanted the same skin tone, didn't think the same ideology wise. And, you know, so you, you definitely blessed. So um, go ahead, Monique. Well, for me, it was different too. At Jackson State, the biology department or CSET had a career fair. And so different professions um, actually came and presented you know, opportunities for you when you graduated college. Um, and for me, it was almost like recruitment. So the school that I went to or graduated from, it was an accelerated program. You had to have a degree. You had to have a certain GPA. You did 13 months. 
you don't have room for, for work. You, you know, did that and you graduated and you got into, um, into nursing, but with it, it was for my, for minorities. Um, although it was for diversity and minorities, there were still only three African-American students there. And all three of us came from Jackson state. So when we got to this predominantly white institution, it's 63 students, three are, um, African-American, two Haitians, and one other, I would say that. <laughs> and, you know, out of 63, we only have a handful. So it's just us depending on each other. And so although it wasn't necessarily difficult for me to get in, the your surroundings change. You are the minority. You come from HBCU to PWI. You're one in 100. And you see racism head on. You know, we're all from Mississippi. You think this is the most racist state? No, no, ma'am, no, sir. Like here in North Carolina, I have experienced it. Um, we only had one African American male in our classroom, and I went to bat for him because they were going to kick him out. So out of our program, um, so it's it's very difficult. I have you know done things about extending my hand to help people get into the program and to see diversity, even with working. Um, at these institutions, they are still predominantly white. It's only a handful of nurses there. And my passion was women's health, OBGYN. So I was a labor and delivery nurse. And we see a lot of African-American women, but there's not a lot of African-American women taking care of us. But yet we are two times more likely to die during childbirth. So, you know, trying to get us more prevalent at the bedside is important. And, you know, you have to be the smartest. You have to prove your point or show that you know what you're talking about for people to take you serious whereas your counterparts may not have to do that so yeah that's that's definitely real did did any of y'all during y'all clinical rotations feel like that that they weren't really rooting for you like did y'all have like white clinical instructors that that kind of made it difficult dealing uh just just learning it made it difficult and you weren't even getting paid it was just difficult to learn under them anybody got any experiences with that well i actually have an experience but mine's is oh i'm sorry <laughs> Ashley, you gotta go. <laughs> because this is it actually was a reverse um i actually had an instructor that was african-american woman mm -hmm. um and it was myself and this other uh african-american girl and she was super hard and just mean and nasty and rude towards me and um and her um and you know i thought i'm thinking about it later on i'm like well maybe she was hard on us because she knew that it would what it would be like in the field because everyone else that was not african-american they were white you know she was nice to them but she was super hard on the two of us for like no reason it was like the reverse but mm. I feel like I'm thinking now, hindsight, like maybe she did that because she wanted to prepare us for this healthcare field or, you know, for what we could expect. I don't know. You know, it was kind of strange, but I never felt that way um, with my instructors, but with my classmates, yeah. because it's an accelerated program. Um, we did, the couple of us African-Americans, we did feel kind of like outcast um, in a sense. And like I said, again, this was not, I mean, Mississippi, Alabama, it was still just, I just felt the tension definitely when we were in, in clinicals for sure for sure i think i think you know even you know i didn't go to nursing school but you know i went to physical therapy school and it was only eight of us out of 52 so so of course you know when you 
when when you're a minority in that crowd, you're gonna feel the tension regardless from professors, from the students. You 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 gotta be the smartest person in the room. And then even if you're the smartest person in the room, they don't want you to be arrogant about it or brash, you know. So, you know, it is what it is, but you know, that's just America, essentially. It's like a snapshot of America when you go into these um healthcare professions. So so it is what it is. So that that's this is gonna take me to my next question. How difficult was it to be a black nurse during the COVID pandemic? Like, because I know, I know it has to, it, it's been hard on everybody. The whole pandemic been hard on shit from anybody from, from a nurse to a garbage man. You know, it's been hard on everybody. So, so I'm gonna ask Tundria first because you was in New Orleans and I know it was like crazy down there. So talk to me a little bit about it. Um, oh Lord. Um, being black and nursing during the pandemic was indubitably one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. Um, and part of it was because of, you know, like my own personal things. Like I, I lost my grandmother to COVID. My dad was in the hospital for months. I was pregnant with COVID. Like it was just a lot going on. But um, one thing I think that did it for me, especially in the earlier stages, was being in that ICU and seeing that, you know, damn, a lot of these people that are dying look like me and are young like me. You know, when, when everything, when COVID started blowing up, especially here in New Orleans, nobody was really talking about at that time how black the pandemic was. And so I think just being on the front lines, me and some of my friends that are, um, that worked on that, I don't, it was a different unit I was working on at the time, but my friends that were working with me at the time, we talk now about just the level of, um, just the, the level of terror when you're confronted with your own mortality like that on a daily basis. And, uh, I mean, there's still, you know, no doubt a level of, of PTSD that I know for sure me and all my people still deal with just from being black. I mean, all nurses, I'm sure, have it to some degree, but just from being black and seeing how black people were treated by the healthcare system also, um, it was it was a lot. It was heavy, real heavy. Yeah, that's real, especially with the, you know, the PTSD part. And and I think and and I think what was crazy to me was a lot of healthcare professionals that didn't really care about the pandemic didn't really take it seriously and i'm like dude like your whole profession based on evidence-based practice like like it, it it was definitely alarming and crazy you know and it's it, it was and you're right it was definitely black the pandemic was definitely black when it started out so i'm gonna go to ashley talk to me a little bit about your experience in in um, maryland um, to be completely honest, um, it was a numbing feeling for me because I feel like I was just going through the motions. I, I didn't really feel it until later on after we went through, I guess, the first wave, um, just emotionally, mentally, spiritually, financially, just tired um, and couldn't fathom why it was, you know, affecting our community as much as it was is affecting. I mean, I was fortunate that I didn't have anyone super close to me, but just seeing the numbers and seeing how many African Americans were affected just in general and having friends and family members who, you know, also had 
these, you know, experiences, it was just like alarming to me. Just, you know, I couldn't, couldn't really think and process processes. So it was, it did a lot on my personal mental health and it's, and I'm still navigating through it because now I feel like I'm just now getting to a point where I'm able to like breathe because now our numbers are going down and, you know, I guess overall our numbers are going down. I'm able to really, really breathe, but I feel like the effects of it, again, PTSD is more on my um, emotional health and my mental health now, just trying to navigate that and make sure that I am where I need to be now that, especially since I entered a new role in the midst of a pandemic and having like my, my boss of 20 plus years leaves. And now I'm this new leader on my unit trying to navigate through a scary time where we're all unknown. And I'm looking at myself like, I don't know. And like, we're all figuring this out together. So I think that it's been um, exhausting for me. Yeah, and my mental health as a black woman has just been exhausting for me, trying to be strong and be that person um, for my people, for myself, for my staff. You know, it's been a lot. Yeah, I, I, I know, I feel like everybody's mental health took like a hit for sure. Like, like Tundria said, PTSD, like it's, if I, if I go in somebody, if I go somewhere and I see a bunch of people rush in, I just be like, shit, let me get the hell out of here. Like I leave real quick, you know? And, you know, I think it's going to be something that kind of lasts for a while, you know? Go ahead, Monique. How you feel? Well, in my experience, um, again, like I said before, I transitioned out of the hospital or out of bedside care, but I am still a nurse ambassador. So my patients all have autoimmune diseases. Um, and so they're all on medications that will make them more immunocompromised, so make their immune system lower. So it was stressful because your patient stress becomes your stress. Or you were here about them, you know, being on ventilators. I just got out of the hospital. I had COVID. I couldn't take my medication. And now their bodies are resetting from not only dealing with um, a virus, but not having their medications that was helping them get through their everyday, you know, routines before then. Um, stressful on, you know, with my old coworkers, we were like family. They were mentally, physically, emotionally exhausted. And to see how the CDC were changing guidelines in a snap of a finger because we were really out of personal protective equipment. Not, you know, that it was safer, but wearing one mask, a same surgical mask throughout a whole shift on the labor and delivery, you know, unit was unheard of. We don't go out of an OR and come in. So to hear their stories and to see their frustrations made me frustrated as well. Uh, many times I wanted to call there and say, I'm coming to help. Well, you know, what can I do? But, you know, ultimately, in reality, you can't. And for me, with having COVID, um, I was around three people, not even around uh, a group of people. And it was just three. And all of us ended up with, with COVID. We don't know who brought it. We don't know how it come. You know, no one really knew at that time when um, I had it. And it was scary. You are a nurse. You know a lot, you know about the body in itself and it can be a very scary moment and for my family i'm the one that they call when they're sick and it's like well the nurse is sick what are what are we going to do so everyone kind of freaked out <laughs> around me and i really haven't talked about my experience with covid nobody probably knew until now you all know now i'm gonna need covid yeah. um, <laughs> <laughs> i had it too i had it too i ain't, I ain't broadcasting too but 
yeah. Yeah. Can, I, can I piggyback off that for just one second? Go, go, go ahead. Um, and she just brought up something that I hadn't even thought about. I guess I kind of blocked it. But I mean, Nick, you know, because we've been friends for a long time. But um, another thing that added to my anxiety as, you know, a nurse during the pandemic was the fact that I have lupus. And so, you know, I was dealing with my own immunocompromised state. And then they started giving, you know, the Plaquenil to everybody. And I couldn't get my medication for about four to five weeks. You know, it was just a lot going on. So being pregnant, having lupus, losing people and watching people die just kind of, you know, took a mental toll on me that I wasn't expecting. But like Ashley was saying, I really don't think that I realized it at the moment. Like it wasn't until things started to slow down and my boss actually kind of reassigned me to somewhere else because he was like, look, you got too much going on to be in here dealing with all of that. Like we, got, we, we don't need you and your baby, you know, having problems. But it wasn't until things started slowing down where I was just like, damn, like this is a lot, a lot, a lot. And so, yeah, mm -hmm. therapy for sure. Mm -hmm. I recommend it for everybody working in healthcare at this point, honestly, and not even just healthcare workers, everybody in general, we all need to be sitting on somebody's couch. Hey, that's, that's real. That's real. And, and to kind of piggyback off of what Ashley was saying, like, you know, it's crazy that, you know, y'all are our warriors in which I was dealing with, you know, I feel like we never, I feel like we never had to look at, our own like mortality that way like we was like we was like staring we was like staring in the mirror and and we kind of had to be numb to keep from you know breaking the fuck down because we all know at this point that you know we all know that your health care will go with your mental state so if you depressed if you angry if you if you mentally ill you know physically you can you can be so when i was diagnosed I, I had been at brunch. I had been in my girl face. So I'm automatically thinking, oh, she got it now too. And so, but I realized I was like, I got it. I must have had it at least about five days now because it didn't catch it on the um it didn't catch it on the on the rapid. It caught it on like the, the three-day test or whatever. So when I realized that, I was like, you know, I'm straight. And then you know, just kept praying. She came back positive and she was straight. We were just sitting there for 10 days straight. We were blessed, you know, and, and, you know, it's crazy how God works because my dad had told me to come over, show him something on the phone, on his phone. And, and my dad, people don't know, he just got a kidney transplant in 2020. So he was at the house. He was like, come show me something on my phone. And I was like, uh, I'm kind of tired. I ain't know I was tired because I had COVID. I thought I was tired because I've been working. I, I'm talking about I'm outside, full-fledged, working out, everything, every day with COVID. Don't even know. So I'm so so he tell me to come out there. I'm like, nah, I'm kind of tired. And so days later, tests come back positive. I'm like, damn, that shit crazy. But that's just how God works. Like everything that happens is is just kind of meant to be. And and when I realize that everything that happens is meant to be, and however it turn out. You just gotta say fuck it. Then I was able to live better, like during the pandemic. That's and that's how I deal. Every day I was saying, "Man, this shit is crazy." Like <laughs> that was my favorite statement. Into <laughs> man, man, this shit is crazy. Like, <laughs> but I feel like man, that's your favorite statement at baseline. Hey, <laughs> real talk. That that might be my favorite statement because I literally because I was looking at 
CNN and I was looking at how the administrations and stuff was dealing with it. And then I was looking at how um, so many people were politicizing the pandemic and the vaccines and stuff like that. And I just, I just, every day I just was like, man, this shit is so crazy. Like, <laughs> but you know, it is what it is. So this is going to lead me to my next question in the news. It's been, it, it was a Houston area nurse. It's been a lot of nurses actually, but recently they've been getting fired due to refusing the COVID vaccine. And it's been mandated at the, um, in the, in the hospitals and in the outpatient clinics that they work in. So these places are literally telling them, you know, take the vaccine or your ass getting fired. And they like, nah. And then, so when they tell them that they don't take the vaccine, they get fired. Then they get the press involved and they say, Hey, press, they trying to force us to take the vaccine. How, how do y'all feel about that? How do y'all feel about mandates? Cause I, cause I feel like all of us being in professional school, we kind of all had to deal with mandates. You know, if you went, if you went to, I went to UMMC, the, this, this woman would call me on a Sunday morning. We ain't even at school. She'll call me on a Sunday morning. She'll say, Hey, if you don't take your flu vaccine by next week, you can't take your final, like off top. <laughs> and, and the flu vaccine used to make me sick. So I used to be like, man, I kind of want to wait till after the finals. I don't want to be sick. They'd be like, nah, we don't care. You'll be all right. Take some Tylenol. <laughs> so somebody talk to me a little bit about it. Go ahead, T. Oh, that, that. <laughs> it's sticky because you, you you know Nick you know how I am I'm very very outspoken about people in their rights yeah yeah so I'm 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 hella pro-choice about everything but on on the same token like you said as healthcare professionals and having gone through professional school to become healthcare professionals there's always been certain things that we've been mandated to do in order to get through school and in order to practice. And so I feel like that situation in Houston and all the other situations are very, you know, they're very unfortunate, but I, I also understand where the employers are coming from because they have to do what they feel like is best to protect their other employees and the patients that, you know, we service. Like what you look like coming in here, you could possibly, you know, have COVID and we got you providing care to 50 million other people throughout the day. Like it's, you know, I, I hate that that, it came to that for her and I respect her decision to decide what she does and doesn't put in her body. But I can't say that I a hundred percent feel like her employers were in the wrong. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of on the fence about it because if the vac from, from what I know about the vaccine, if the vaccine actually prevented you from passing it, then I would be like, okay, this perfectly makes sense. Why they making you do it. If the vaccine had been out, for years then i could understand why they making you do it i'm an advocate for the vaccine you know i don't try to push i don't try to push you know but if somebody asks me you know in a in a in a nice way not in no um i would say argumentative way because people dm me shit all the time i mean uh yo yo home and courtney dm me yesterday me too. <laughs> Send me a damn video from Teddy Riley. I was like, nigga, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not arguing with you about a video that Teddy Riley posted about a vaccine. So, <laughs> so, so, um, I'm gonna let um Ashley answer this question. Do you, 
Do you feel personally obligated to educate black people on the vaccine? Because I saw you took it, you shared your experiences. Do you feel personally obligated? I did. Um, what's inter interesting is that I was also one of the ones that was like, no, initially. Like, I was like, no. And then, um, and I was, no, because I was like, you know, I don't know what this is. You know, we don't, you know, Tuskegee, you know, I, I know better, right? But I'm right. getting pulled in because of what others are saying. So my vice president of nursing came to visit me. And long story short, she was encouraging me because her husband, um, worked on the vaccine. Of course, she didn't know the deets, but she you know, knew about this vaccine coming out. And so she was asking if my staff had, you know, if we were getting good numbers. And I was just like, do you see the staff that are here? Like, it's a lot of African-Americans. So no. Oh, well, the other staff on the other, our sister unit. And I was like, well, do you see the staff over there? Because they're more Caucasian, so you would understand. And so at that moment, you know, she she goes and explains, you know, the the vaccine and how it's made and all of this. And so at that moment is when I was like, you know what, I could be an example because right. what do I have to lose? Like if I'm going to die, I'm going to die anyway. <laughs> so mm. if, I, if something's going to happen, it's going to happen anyway. And so at that moment, I was like, well, let me just go get it because at least I can explain. I can get staff to. I can encourage them if they so choose. Because at that point, like our percentage was super low with, you know, those who signed up as well as getting it. And so at that point, I was like, let me get the vaccine and just explain to others my, you know, give them my experience. And um, I saw that when I did that on Facebook, on Instagram, that many, many people were so happy that African-Americans specifically that, you know, I actually was able to share my experience as a black woman and as a leader and as a nurse being able to give them that feedback um and uh, it's funny because i told them i was like i was i said no at first i remember nick you were like ashley you know you practice this every day and i was just like you're right and that's why i was like i can't i it does kind of concern me why people especially us who know how the system works and we study this why they wouldn't consider it but again pro-choice, like you do what you want to do, what's best for you. Because I'm not going to tell you what's best for you. You know what's best for you. Because there are people who've gotten the flu vaccine and gotten sick. I mean, I, I I would get sick too. But, you know, at the same time, I do feel like as a leader, as a Black woman, as someone that is in an influential role that I should, you know, give, you know, honest feedback about my experience that could possibly help someone else make a decision that's on the fence. And so many people are still coming back to me saying, I'm so glad that you gave me your experience, you know, because it made me decision to get, you know, it made, it gave me the, 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 um, the inspiration. Thank you. The inspiration to actually, you know, go ahead and get the vaccine. And I was like, Oh, you're welcome. I was just being honest. I mean, I wasn't trying to make this a big thing. So. Yeah, for sure. It, I think I think it was very important for especially black health healthcare professionals when they got their vaccine to actually post their card because our community is being affected the most due to due to institutionalized systematic racism basically and so and and so with that they look to the healthcare providers for for information and inspiration basically so when I got my shots I, I was always advocating, you know, I would start arguments on Twitter, on Facebook, 
like on Instagram, just talking mad shit. Like, yeah, I'm gonna get the vaccine. And people don't know, like, I done, I've had allergic reactions to shot as a child. I've been in the hospital when I got my immunization shots. The the flu shot used to do me bad every time. And so even with this shot, I mean, I had fever, I had chills, I had congestion, all of that. But I I knew early on that that before anything, you know, I believe in God and I believe in science after God. So with science, if if you know all of us know this, we done all had to do research. If if you got, you know, randomized control trials, you know, that's almost at the top of the pyramid when it comes to research. And so I held a clubhouse and I explained my experience. And a lot of people actually attended. I ain't think nobody was gonna come, but they entered the room. And I told them my experience about the shot. And a lot of people had great questions. And I inspired, you know, some people to actually get the vaccine. And, and you know, it it goes to show that it goes a long way for us to just open our mouths and, and share our experiences um, with anything, but especially with the vaccine. So, so I'm going to go to Monique next. Um, do you... How do you feel about those mandates? Because I'm gonna ask you this question because you because you said you said you ain't want to answer this question. So how you <laughs> how, how, how you how you feel about? I was opting out. <laughs> Hell no, nah. you don't get to opt out. <laughs> um, you know I'm pro-choice as well. You know, with my institution. The flu vaccine is not mandated. Um, you do have a decision to, to take it and you have to follow all these certain steps if you're not going to do it. But or wear a mask throughout flu season um, before the pandemic hit. Those were the provisions if you didn't wear or if you didn't get the flu vaccine, you what you had to do. As for, you know, her decision. Again, if it was a case where we knew that the vaccine was going to prevent her from passing the flu, it would be one thing. I have known a lot of nurses who had the vaccine, who still got COVID, who may have gotten it from a patient, who still passed it to another patient. So her losing her job, you know, is, Isn't I'm on the fence about it. It's like a lot. Like you're not giving me something. I'm not doing anything that's going to prevent my health or you know ultimately it's not going to be 100 percent safety towards me or someone else but again i can also agree with the institution saying well i'm doing my duty to keep you and my patients safe so overall it's gonna it can help someone so i'm you know i don't have it's hard to be on either side i'm in the middle of the gray it's the gray area for me um for that because we know i used to be a research uh coordinator as well and i we used to work with the vaccine institute it's a lot that goes on with getting vaccines with doing those um trials and you know it's it was her choice and at that point there was a lot of things that's unknown about COVID. that's still unknown about COVID. that still needs a lot of more research but i can get the administrator side and her side as well. And so I'm standing in a gray area and then I'm glad it's not me. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm just like y'all. I'm pro-choice. Uh, I'm more so I would I would prefer everybody took the vaccine, but you know, I realized early on I can't argue, I just be arguing for fun. But I be and I like to piss them off for fun because I just be like, bro. 
because real talk though, the shit that's been coming out since COVID been some crazy shit. And I just be like, bro, I know y'all not believing this. Like, <laughs> so I like to argue for fun. And so, you know, I argue about the vaccine, whatever. And I, and you know, people, people will send me, uh, clips and shit. I put laugh my ass off. This is not true. Uh, whatever, <laughs> you know, cause, cause I mean, you brought it to me. So, you know, it is what it is. So, Moving on, um, moving on. I got a question that that I feel like is very important. How important was mentor mentorship and positive influences in y'all life for y'all to get to where y'all at? I'm sure all of y'all had women that y'all, or even men that y'all looked up to in the healthcare profession, or even in your family that kind of inspired you to to pursue nursing and to. I would say pursue this role of leadership in your community as a healthcare provider. So I'm, I'm gonna start off with Ashley. So um, it was extremely important. Um, I had a woman that I looked up to when I was growing up. Um, she's still in Mississippi. That is a nurse anesthetist, black woman, lives in Mississippi, and um, you know she inspired me to actually go to nursing school. Um, after that, um, as far as black women, it was a, a nine year gap because, um, you know, I just, you know, didn't connect with anyone. But recently, as I've been in this interim role, um, my current boss, senior nursing director, she was on maternity leave. And this other woman was pretty much cross covering for her, you know, for us underneath, you know, her division. And she's um, another senior nursing director, African-American woman accomplished and we connected. And when we connected, I realized that that this is the woman that I need to, you know, in my life that will help me guide, you know, will be honest with me and help, you know, mentor me to where I need to be. And she has been um, the reason, like the catalyst, you know, as to why I am where I am today, nine months later, and still in this interim nursing director role, about to get into the director role. But all that to say, you know, she has been the reason she pushes me. She's completely honest with me. And I feel like it's so important to have someone that's in of that looks like you that's in a position where you're trying to be, because it does inspire you to continue to go forward. And it doesn't seem like it's unreachable and that, you know, it can never happen. So to see people in these high places, my chief nursing officer is African-American. I see more of young African-American women in my, in my hospital now that are in nurse director or in high level positions now that I've ever seen. So it's so inspiring. I've connected and um, you know navigated through this role by connecting with so many of uh, the the directors that look like me that are my age that you know have been in the role for a few years to like you know just a couple of months just because it's so important to you know be able to you know talk to them and have them in your ear so that you can be successful. So it is important for mentorship. Yeah, that's that's dope. I think the key word you said there was honesty. Like, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of people are afraid to be honest when it comes to mentorship or whatever. And because some people can't handle honesty, but but honesty is the key, I believe, in mentorship. In my experience, I never had I never actually had a mentor in, in what I pursued, but I, I had mentors and other things in life that I carried to academia, you know, and I and, and it was very important for me. So but the key there as well was honesty. So and I appreciate that. 
So Tundria, uh, talk to me a little bit about mentorship. I mean, mentorship for me was everything. Um, we touched um, earlier on a little bit, I mean, a little bit about um, how much representation matters. Mm-hmm. And so for me, my mom is a nurse practitioner. Two of my aunts are nurses. My sister's a nurse. You know, I grew up around my mom's friends who were nurses and nurse practitioners. And so um, it just always was presented as an option that was very possible for me. It never seemed like something that was unattainable. So that's kind of what drove me, you know, to go into nursing. And once I started nursing school, because I, I went to um, I went to LSU for nursing school. So being at a PWI, I was the minority and I only had, I was also in an accelerated program. We only had maybe about, I think there was a group of maybe five or six black kids that's, you know, clung together. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had an instructor who was a nurse practitioner who was, um, like Ashley was saying earlier, kind of hard on me, a little, a little stricter on me than other people. And she pushed me and would sit me down and say, listen, like things are going to be a little bit more difficult for you. And this is why, and here's how you navigate that. And she's followed me even through, you know, going through nurse practitioner school myself. She's helped me through clinicals with the other nurse practitioners that she's no connected me to black nurse practitioners, which is, which has been paramount. So I feel like my success in school. Um, so, I mean, that mentorship piece is huge. And that's a lot of the reason why anytime anybody comes up to me, particularly somebody that's black and says that they have an interest in nursing, nurse practitioner, uh, CRNA, anything, whatever it is that I can do to be available to help, you know, I, I try my best to do that. Cause a lot of people just don't have those examples and those, those tangible people that they can go to and be like, Hey, show me how you built this. Like, show me how you, how you did this. So yeah, it's important for sure. For sure. Yeah. That's, that's a blessing to grow up around that many black female nurses that are, that are kind of, you know, paved the way for you. Oh yeah. So Monique, talk to me a little bit about who inspired you. Um, so I didn't grow, grow up around many healthcare professionals, but my mom had a very close friend who was my uh, guy, GYN. And so this was the only black, we call her our aunt. So she was the only black, you know, woman that I ever saw in healthcare. But I had other people who were in other careers that were successful. My mom was a CPA, you know, my family members, we all didn't have a choice but to be successful. It was it was not an option. Um, and so getting to nursing school, when I got there, I did have mentors. Um, and I'm going to dr- name drop because if it was not for her, I don't know where <laughs> where I would be, Dr. Bridget Carter. Um, and she actually was very good at, at helping me transition from the environment from an HBCU to a PWI. And not just the environment, but I never had to study. I was one of those people who could take a test, um, you know, it came naturally easy for me and the pace of things picked up times 10. I couldn't keep up. I didn't know how to study. I didn't, you know, read those 10,000 pages and everybody around me were kicking it. You know, they were were going. And I remember um, her saying, I just saw your test grades. She kept up with our test grades because remember I was telling you I was in a minority program. They didn't, those first tests didn't look so, too hot. And you're at Duke University. You're coming from Jackson State, and I recruited you. We got to get you together. So, you know, she taught me, um, you know, different ways to work with my peers or what I should be doing at home and being a support. Um, It wasn't that I couldn't do it. I was 
overwhelmed, stressed out in a different environment, no family. And I was letting my mind take over everything that my uh, capabilities. And I had a clinical instructor, also Stacy Walker, I'm name dropping again, who um, was like, you're smart. You can do this. We're going to push through. And that's why I wanted to be in women's health between those three women um, being in my life. I, I knew that that mentorship was a saving grace because I don't know if I would have been here to talk to y'all about it or been back at home. <laughs> so hey, that's, that's real. Cause you know, I went to Hampton and I ain't have none of what you had up there. It was just, it wasn't no mentorship. It was just like, <laughs> shit, sink or swim. Then, you know, I ended up back at home, but when I went to UMMC, still didn't have no mentorship. I was my own mentor and, and, you know, I had support, but you know, nobody to actually talk to me and say, Hey, this is how you do this. This is how you do that. So I kind of, I'm still winging to this day, but I educate myself. So, you know, y'all, y'all was definitely blessed to have them people. Yeah. And if you end up back at home, your journey is your experience. So, you know, yeah. you can help somebody else from. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like my journey built me and I feel like, you know, that's, that was just what was supposed to happen. And I wouldn't have wanted it no other way at this point. So. So this is gonna lead me to my last question. You know, like I told, like we talked earlier, COVID, it it kind of, you know, gave us PTSD and all of this type of stuff. How do how have y'all been able to, in in even before COVID, how have y'all been able to maintain and be mentally grounded in your profession during a stressful environment of nursing? I'm sure y'all got things that y'all might do or maybe meditation, maybe praying, maybe um, engaging in your favorite pastime or whatever. Talk to me a little bit about how do y'all make it from a day-to-day basis? Go ahead, Tundra. Oh, Lord. Um, the question <laughs> is, do I make it from a day-to-day basis? Um, yeah, yeah. Hey, we talk oof. straight. <laughs> it's rough out here. I, well, honestly, I feel like particularly as black women, and I'm not saying that this is not true for black men, but I can only speak to my experience. Mm -hmm. Um, Particularly for black women, there is this burden of of strength and struggle that we we wear. So I think more so than staying grounded and and help and dealing with our emotions and our mental turmoil from what we do in a healthy way, a lot of times we just kind of press through and push forward and just keep going through the motions. You just do what you got to do until you get there. So what I've been trying to do a lot of lately is at the end of every day on my drive home, because, you know, I got two children. So sometimes it's the only little peace and quiet I get Um, on my drive home. I do pray. I do meditate, but I also allow myself to decompress from whatever it is I dealt with that day. So I don't bring that energy into my house. Um, I do, you know, I, I do a lot of um, praise and worship in my car by myself, but more so than anything, what I do is give myself the grace to not be okay and to not have to bear that burden of strength all the time. I'll tell myself, look, you had a raggedy ass day and it's all right for you to be struggling today and it's okay for you to maybe have forgotten to do that one thing or for you to have failed at this thing today because Tomorrow you get another opportunity to do it all again. So I think more so than, you know, support from family and friends, praying, meditation, all of that, 
giving myself the, the grace and the, the safe space within myself to not be okay and to express that I'm not okay has been what's kind of allowed me to kind of, I don't want to say get through, but to just kind of navigate these unsteady waters that we're in right now. Hey, that's for sure. Hey, that, that, that word, uh, grace is powerful. Grace, and, and, and you, and you making it through, you making it through. I'm, I'm getting there. Yeah, you're getting there. <laughs> okay, Ashley, how, how you been able to maintain? Well, um, it really is a one day at a time because I'm not doing the best job at it because, again, I am pressing my way each and every day because I'm like, I have to do this. Um, there are moments where I have to catch myself because I come into work like ready to just tear people apart because my emotions, I'm exhausted, I'm tired, I'm emotional. Um, and I'm like, okay, I got to reel it in because I'm leading my staff and I don't want them to do that to each other or to patients. So it's really like, you know, a struggle. And it still is something I am truly being completely honest and transparent, navigating through. Um, but I give myself grace as well, because I'm super hard on myself. So there are times when I close my office door, and I just start to cry. And I just get that out that emotion out. And I wipe my face, and I go out there and just do it because I'm like, I need that moment to be to like release. I don't, I need to find a way, a better way to release consistently. You know, I do pray. I do attend, you know, services and, you know, that's, that's all good and gravy, but um, having to be conscious um, and be aware of how I'm feeling at the moment and then be intentional so that I can find my own personal or my own internal peace so that I won't allow external circumstances to um, affect how I feel on the inside. Because um, if I'm solid and I'm secure and I'm where I need to be on the inside, then I'll be able to navigate everything else on the outside. So that's that's real. That's real. And and it's OK to be emotional. You know what I'm saying? I, I feel like it, at some point all of us been emotional in these, especially in this past year. So so um, talk to me, Monique, how you, how you get through. Yeah, even though I have left the physical part of nursing, I picked up more of the emotional part of nursing. Um, I have 155 patients. Mm. So that's that's a lot. Um, and, you know, we are still the the prayer warriors in these patient li patients lives and we still hold every other title that nurses, you know, don't get credit for. Um, but, yeah, it's it's hard. And with a child. Um, I had to make the, the decision to send my child back to in-person school. So switch his schools back because trying to be a teacher and do virtual learning with trying to be there for my patients wasn't working. So he had to go back to private school and be in person and battle if we will get COVID or not or if he will be exposed or not. Um, and honestly, I'm not doing a good job at pressing forward. <laughs> I mean, you just have to do it. You you do what you got to do. They call black women super women. And I think I'm wearing my cape <laughs> very well or my S on my chest. Um, and sometimes, you know, my decompensation may be just getting a, a breath of fresh air. I want to sit up a little office area or just be outside to breathe. Because even though I'm working from home, these four walls can close in on you after you're dealing with everyone else's emotions throughout a whole day and then you know being a mom and, and caring for your family so um for me it is prayer it is turning social media off turning my phone off turning everything off and let myself sit in my feelings um or getting that breath of fresh air to just be outside or you know um watching my son play outside um those type of things kind of 
make me a little softer and have me a, a chance to breathe rather than bottling it all up or suppressing it and being super women because we don't have to be. We just, we are, but we have to learn how to navigate through that a little better. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Y'all, y'all are super women though. Hey, y'all doing what y'all gotta do. I would give y'all one tip. Ain't nobody said, man, when I watch funny shit all the time. And and if you if you watch funny shit and you stay laughing, I guarantee you, like your stress level gonna automatically go down some. You know what I'm saying? And you know, regardless of what y'all doing, y'all try to get y'all a little exercise in, at least, you know, 30 minutes, some probably three times a week. And you know that that'll help you out as well. But y'all gotta stay laughing, cause I swear, like I think I think that's what get me through all the time. I'm always watching Martin. I'm always watching Fresh Prince. I'm always watching some on YouTube, on Twitter. I'm always tripping out. Facebook always tripping out. That's why I don't delete my social media, cause I cause I find it funny. So so you know, I I say laughter is the best medication, and so. Y'all, y'all try to get some laughter in too. So we gonna we gonna end this discussion tonight. I was blessed to have all three of y'all on the podcast, and y'all did an amazing job. And y'all are amazing individuals that are paving the way for young black female nurses and young black female professionals as well. And I'm proud of all y'all. And we out. I be too busy doing me, so I hope it's doing you and I be doing my thing, doing me, doing my thing, doing my thing, doing my thing, doing me, doing my thing, doing my thing, doing my thing, doing me, doing my thing, doing my thing, doing my thing, doing me, doing my thing, 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 doing my thing,